0: Well, um, we've been talking about the the letter uh, that Paul wrote to a group of people in a place called Colossae, the Colossians, and we know they were um, kind of in the same boat a lot of a, uh, that we are. They, you know, they had families, they had work, they were just like we were, although it was twenty centuries ago. Um, but they were new Christ followers, or they were trying to follow Jesus in the best way that they could, and they had things in their life that you know, conflicted with that. Um, culture, you know, they're hearing a lot of different voices. They're hearing a lot of different philosophies. They're hearing a lot of different religions. And even though they didn't have the internet and they didn't have cell phones, it was still coming in and out of their lives constantly hearing different things. And they're like, how do we How do we walk and be a follower of Jesus Christ with all these other things that conflict uh, with our value system and what we've decided to believe in Christ when they, they kind of conflict and you have to listen to people and you have to listen to things and you have to stay on track, you got to stay on course, and that's what Paul writes on this letter. And as if you're here for the first time, you may not have been here for the as we've started this series, but that's okay. Basically, Paul has written this letter to this group of first century Christians, and he's in prison. He's not doing well himself. He hasn't met these people, but he's heard all about them from somebody that he's very close to that's been ministering there. And he's saying, hey, these people are going through these things. I want you to tell them what the truth is and and encourage them and, and remind them of what really matters, who they are in Christ. Remind them of their true identity in Christ. So Paul has been doing that in this letter. He tells them who they are. He tells them who Jesus is. That Jesus in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood with us, as Jesus did when He came to earth. And He said, that's who you need to know who Jesus really is. He's actually God in the flesh. And after He told them who God was, then and this is what Jesus did. When He moved into the neighborhood, He lived just like we live. He had all the different things that went on in His life, all the hurts, all the temptations, Everything that we've experienced, Jesus experienced the same way that we did, yet, and this blows my mind every time I think of it, he was without sin. And that perfect sacrifice he ultimately gave on the cross for all of humanity to take away our sin, and on the third day he rose again to defeat death and bring the hope and promise of eternal life. So Paul makes that very clear. This is who Jesus is, this is what he's done. Now that you know that, this is how you should live if you're going to embrace that. If you're going to be resurrected in Christ and walk in him, this is how you live. And so he starts telling us. And last week we specifically talked about his... Uh, A little bit of instruction he gave to husbands and wives. And we talked about that. And we were told that, hey, wives, you're supposed to submit to your husbands. And we got a lot of angry stares when we heard that. And some elbows and that kind of stuff. But then we heard, for the man, it's even harder. Because the bar says, and you're supposed to love your wives as Christ loved the church. And that's even a higher bar. And if we're loving Christ as husbands and loving our wives as Christ loved the church, then our wives are not going to find it hard to submit to the decisions and things that, that we make. But it is a very, it's not that the roles are unequal. They're just different roles that we all matter. And what we need to understand, I think, is very interesting. And what I'm learning is, in the first century, this authoritative type of the man's the head of the household, and that was it. So when Paul said, women, you know, you know, you need to submit to your husbands. Everybody that even wasn't a Christian go, that's exactly right. But when he said, but, husbands, you're supposed to go, whoa, whoa, what do you mean We're, we have some responsibility that's not what the authoritative Roman rule is. The Romans rule, the men rule, you don't even need to say. But husbands, no. It was a new kingdom, and this is what Jesus was teaching, that everybody in the relationship has a role, and you have responsibilities, both of you, not just one. And so this was new and different, and people are going, wow, that's different. But it had to be lived out, and that's what Paul's encouraging these people to do. So we learned that last week. And we understand that... Um, we actually started, if you remember, we went all the way back to Genesis because God created marriage. It was His design. It was a covenant, not only between a man and a woman, but also between a man and a woman and God and saying this is my design for how I'm going to create humanity and this is the design I want you to have. So we went all the way back and go, wow, that's what God wants. And, you know, I said from the beginning... That you don't have to like God's plan. You don't have to agree with God's plan. And you can say, God, I hear you. I hear what you're saying in your, in your word. I hear what the preacher's saying. But I'm going to live my life ever since the beginning of time. Things have changed. And that old traditional model, that's just not the same. It doesn't work anymore. So I'm going to do it my own way. And God doesn't get mad at that. He will tell you that his word is still the same today, yesterday, and forever. That's the way he designed it. That's the way he wants it to be. And you can reject that, and you can go your own way. But as I said last week, he's going to be like the father and the prodigal son, the story, the parable that Jesus told. He's going to sit on the porch, and when you decide to come home and say, you know what, God, you're right. Your design works the best. He's going to not say, what are you doing back home? He's going to get off the porch and run and give you a hug and say, I'm so glad you're home, and he's going to throw a party for you. And he's going to say, I'm so glad you came home. And I'm glad you realize the truth now. Now let's start living it together. That's what kind of God we have, y'all. That's what kind of God we have. And so this is what Paul is trying to instruct to people. So today we're going to be talking about not necessarily the husband and wife, but it does start with the husband and wife. That's the first instruction Paul gives in this letter because this is how the family begins with a husband and wife. At least that's God's design. Now I heard an illustration this week that I really wish I had seen last week. It's interesting. So when you get on a plane, a lot of times... You know, they have the uh, flight attendant come out and goes, okay, and they start giving you instructions, and most of the time we're rolling our eyes going, whatever, you know, and we're not listening. But she usually says, in the case of an emergency, you will have an oxygen um, drop down and a little thing in front of you, and if you have small children, you're supposed to what? That's right. Okay, you put it on yourself first and get your oxygen so you're not passing out, and then you put it on your children. And so this person gave this illustration of saying, hey, Marriage is, and is you know, our, our relationship with our spouse, we're supposed to get energy from each other. And we're supposed to, um, you know, spend time with each other and invest in each other. And a lot of times when we have kids, that goes out the window, doesn't it? You feel like roommates. You're always doing, doing, doing for the kids. And he said that illustration of the, the oxygen mask, you're supposed to put it on yourself first, is something we ought to learn for marriage, that we ought to say, remember, we get our oxygen from our spouse first and foremost, and then... We put the oxygen on the kids and we're able to. But a lot of times we do it backwards. We put all of our focus and time on them. And then when they leave the house, we'll go, I'm sorry, who are you again? What's your name again? I've ignored you and done all this stuff for so long. And we laugh about that because it happens. And it's not deliberate, but I thought that was a great illustration that we need to to put the oxygen of that covenantal relationship that we made with God so many years ago first and foremost. And our kids need to see that, y'all, because they take their cues about what marriage should be from you, and from me, and that's important for us to do that. So that was a, interesting. So Paul goes from that relationship to parent and child relationships, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, all of us are going to fail as husbands and wife, all of us at some point, point. and all of us are going to fail as a daughter or a son or a mom or a dad that God intended us to be, but you know what? That's why We need Jesus, y'all. That's why we need Jesus. Jesus is our Savior. We need Him as our Redeemer. We need Him as our Restorer. We need Him as our Teacher, as our Lord, and as our life. We need Jesus. He gives us the teaching to how we're supposed to do these relationships. And when we really understand that we need Jesus, we really understand that need for Jesus and understand that his plan anticipated that I was going to ignore his plan and his design so many times in my life, that I'm going to rebel against that. I'm going, I know what you said, Jesus, I know what your plan is for my marriage and for, for, for uh, my raising of kids, but you don't understand this situation, so I'll just handle it my way this time. Because that doesn't seem like it'll work, so I'm just going to do it my way. And we kind of do it our way, and it gets us into some trouble. But God says, you know what? I knew you were going to do that. From the very beginning of time, I knew you were going to rebel. And I had a plan for that. I had a design for that. And I had a plan of salvation. I had a Savior, Jesus Christ, that would redeem you from your sin and bring you and restore you back to me. And for that, we should be in awe of who God really is, that He loves us that much and in all that God really thought of this plan that had our best interest in mind, and knowing that we would go our own way, but He loved us enough to restore us and redeem us, and that's ultimately what we need. And let me tell you, when you understand that you're redeemed and you're restored in spite of your weaknesses and failures, when you really understand that and are thankful for that, I'm going to treat the people in my circle of relationships very different and realize I need to give them restoration. I need to give them some slack and some grace, just like... God gave me and that's very important so as we look at another group of relationships today we must do so in the framework of that gospel message of grace of hope of restoration uh, of relationships and that's what's so important so when our relationships are broken and wounded and I can you don't have to raise your hands but if I said everybody raise your hand if you've had a broken or wounded relationship this morning nobody would not raise their hand would they Because we've all had them, and we know, but the the gospel message says those can be restored; those wounds can be healed. There still will be some scars. There still will be some brokenness, but ultimately we'll be restored and back to what we should be in those relationships if we really understand the gospel message. So we're going to read first. uh, We're going to read Colossians first, and I want to go to another letter Paul wrote to the Ephesians, which is very similar about parent and child relationships. Now, very little um, was written in the first century um, about uh, raising kids beyond these instructions that we're going to read today. There just wasn't a whole lot of literature, and I'll tell you why I know that in just a minute. But let's read that. Let's go to Colossians first, and listen to what Paul says. Pretty simple stuff, but listen to what he says. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. And then over in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, verses one through four um Paul very similar talking to another church another group of Jesus followers but he says it very similarly but a little more this time he says children obey your parents in the lord for this is right honor your father and your mother which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth and fathers do not exasperate your children instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the lord so we're going to kind of walk through that now The reason I know there wasn't a whole lot of stuff in the first century about parenting is because when I was in seminary, I had to do this horrific paper called The Thesis to Graduate. And you had to spend a lot of time on it. And so I thought, if I can find something there's not a whole lot of information about, it'll be a lot shorter. And so I I said, I was a youth minister at the time, and I said, you know what? Um, I'm interested in parent-child relationships that I see as a youth minister. Uh, It just intrigues me. So I want to say, hey, so I went to one of my professors and said, I want to do this study on... Parent child relationships in the first century church as compared to the 20th century church. I know we're in the 21st, but back in the 90s it was still the 20th, and that's when I was doing the thesis, all right? So just hang with me. So I did this paper, and it wasn't short, but there really, my, my professor, who was a very brilliant man, said there just wasn't a lot of stuff in the first three centuries about raising kids. It was just kind of like basic stuff like you see in the Bible obey your parents. And then there was this extra stuff that the church added about, wait a minute, the father has some responsibilities, the mother has some responsibilities in the relationship as well. Not just obey your parents and do what they say. Because there was feelings that kids had. There were things that sometimes they rebelled against. And and how did that work? So what I found out in my studies is that there were basically, in the 20th century, we had come to know that there's three basic styles of parenting. There's a lot of styles of parenting. There were three basic. The first one was called the authoritarian parents, who are strict parents, very strict, who have unbending and inflexible rules, and they try to control every aspect of their kids' lives. Anybody have those kind of parents? No, raise your hand. All right. And they do not allow the child to make any choices. I'll make the choice for you. And authoritarian parents expect obedience without questioning, and they may be harsh, uh, use harsh discipline methods uh, on their kids. And uh, they may be insensitive to their children's emotional needs because they need to make all the decisions. And they don't always explain the, um, the reasons behind uh, the consequences or the rules. And as a result, this kind of style of parenting um, ends up having kids that may have trouble expressing themselves, kids that may have uh, can't act in life without having somebody specifically to give them real direction in life, or they just rebel. So it's not the best parenting style, but we we have seen that and felt that sometimes. Then there's what's called permissive parents who are indulgent or helicopter parents. You know, they're always around making sure everything's perfect for their kids. They're not wanting to impose on their child's developing personality. And often they don't set any kind of rules. They let their kids make their own rules and have no consequences. And they may cause their child to avoid even the natural or logical consequences that come from the choices that they do make but they do that in order to save them for perceived harm or unhappiness or hurt feelings. And permissive parents are usually kind and loving, but may become frustrating when the child's behavior is defiant and unacceptable. And a lot of these uh, permissive uh, kids who go have parents who are permissive, they end up being egocentric, have a lacking of self-control in later life. Um, and then there's what's called authoritative parents. And these is the more preferred type of parenting. They are firm and loving and kind, but they set boundaries. And, and they do set boundaries and expect their children to abide by them, neither overly strict or overly indulgent. But authoritative parents strike a good balance between expectations that aren't too high but aren't too low either. And these parents allow their children to make decisions that are age-appropriate and encouraging them as they move forward in life to take on more responsibility. And they respond well to the needs of their child, but they don't give in to every desire that they have. And as a result, and I could go on and on about that, but uh, as a result, there seems to be in these type of, uh, this kind of parenting style, there's social competence, independence, and a sense of high responsibility as they grow into adulthood. So we all would like to say, hey, that's, that's what I do. That's what I do. But we know those others come to place. But what was interesting, from 1992 is when I got all that information, I went back this week and Googled that again, and guess what came up? Those three parenting styles again. And if you think about the authoritative type that I just, I just mentioned there, um, it's very similar to what Paul's talking about. And so a lot of times... And, and, uh, and, and we say, oh, you know, that traditional type of parenting, that, that's not, that's not, that doesn't fly today. You know, we're different. Kids are different, all this kind of thing. That, that just doesn't fly today. That's old school. That's not going to work with kids today. But study after study, y'all, that I read, and maybe some, and I, I'm just saying, read it. Don't take my word for it. Go and read and Google it. Study after study, and I'm not just talking about studies on focus on the family or Christianity Day. I'm talking about um, other you know, uh, newspapers like the, the Washington Post, um, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, they post these studies which study after study say actually this, and they don't want to say biblical or God-style parenting, traditional parenting, but they do say the traditional type parenting seems to always produce healthy, responsible, and confident kids. Study after study after study proves that. So the biblical model still, if we will use it and it's God's design, and God's going, really? You're still finding that out? Well, what about that? That's the way I designed it to be. I want families to be healthy. I want kids to be confident and secure when they leave the home. That's the way I designed it. So please listen to what I'm saying to you about how to raise your kids. So we want to look at these instructions and try to see... Whereas parents, maybe there's some grandparents here today, great-grandparents, or some of you are going, oh, great, I'm just going to check out right now because I don't have any kids, all right? No, you may have some kids or you still can have influence on kids even if you're not a parent by knowing this stuff. So um, the first thing Paul says is, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, I could just say, in everything, kids, is there any questions? All right, start doing that, all right? And, well, what, mean, everything? Yes, he says in everything. The Greek word for everything is everything. That's what it means. He really means it in everything. But you have to go back to chapter 3 that we just looked at. And Paul talks about, if you have or since you have been raised with Christ, then set your hearts and minds on things above. Now, if your parents have raised you to understand that there is a God who created you and that created them and created the whole world, and you have a God that not only created you but has a plan for you, and you have a God that has also set some boundaries for you in morality and things like that, and you have a God that already knows that you're going to break those rules, but He has a plan of salvation and redemption and restoration for you, when you understand that, then you can set, as we talked about a few weeks ago, set your heart and mind on what Christ wants you to, things above. But if you don't, then you're going to set your mind on things where you're in control. I want to be in control. And that's natural. That's in our flesh. We want to be in control. Mom and dad are idiots. What do they know? I can do it better. They're just so out of touch. I'll do it my way. But no, Paul says, in everything you're supposed to obey your parents. And Jesus called you out of and called me out of that self-centered lifestyle um, And to basically trust our parents because he's given them to us for that very reason. And instead of trying to do it our own way, we need to say, Hey, I'm going to humbly submit to God's plan and design. And he gave me parents that love me and want to try to teach me what's best for me. So obeying everything may seem over the top. But when we really have a relationship of trust with our parents that has been going on since we were little, then we say, Hey, I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to love them and respect them. And it's not always easy to do everything they say. But so far in life, they have raised me and shown me that they love me and they trust me, and I'm going to have to trust them on this, even though I don't necessarily agree with it. I'm going to trust them with that. And, uh, but uh, what if your parents are not Christ followers? Think about that. They're not Christians. Should you still obey them in everything? And I think Paul would say yes. He said, well, what about what if they're doing something that's uh, you know, detrimental to me or, or something like that? Well, I still think he says, and what better way to show your parents about what a Christian really should be, is even in times where it seems unreasonable, you're going to obey them anyway. Not only are they going to be surprised, but other people who are watching your walk in Christ, they're going to say, wow, they obey their parents and are respectful of their parents. And their parents are they're kind of unreasonable. And people will see that and see Jesus in you. I remember Jim Dyer, who was our preacher for 38 years here, he told the story one night. And I was a kid at the time, and I wasn't really, you know, I was paying attention, but I was kind of, thinking I knew what he was going to say with his story. But he said, this kid um, that his parents told him not to go to church on Sunday night, he snuck out of the house, and he came to church on Sunday night anyway. And after the service, he came up to Jim and said, Jim, you know, I snuck out of my house so I could be here at church tonight. Like, isn't that great? And I was waiting as a kid for that response to go, yes, way to go. You were at church with singing hymns about Jesus and all that stuff and hearing the sermon, that's what you should have done. But Jim said, and I was floored at first, like, what? He said, no. You shouldn't have done that. I'm glad that you came, and I'm glad that you want to be here at church, and we love you, but by disobeying your parents, what do you think your example of being a Christ follower is to them when you deliberately disobeyed them? You shouldn't have done that, and I wouldn't encourage you to do that again. I was like, wow, that has stuck with me forever. I'll never forget that story. I never thought about that, but still, the way we say we're a Christ follower, but then we make exceptions in certain things because we want to do what we want to do, It says something about if we really follow Jesus with consistency or not. So what if your parents ask you to do something illegal, immoral, or unethical? Should you obey them in that? That's everything. Well, obviously, sometimes kids get in horrific situations where they're put in those kind of situations where they have no choice. But when there is something that your parents are doing that you know is is dangerous or unethical or, 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 or immoral, any of that kind of stuff, you need to try to get a responsible adult in your life to help you through that situation, and hopefully you can get some help with that. So obviously that might be something where we have to talk about the situation. But most of the time, is that really what it's about? It's not. It's usually about stuff that we just don't like that our parents are requiring us or that they like for us to do or the timing of it, and we don't personally want to do it. And I want you to think about young people for a minute, okay? And I'm a parent, and you go, oh, you're just saying that because you're a parent. But no, listen, I just did a memorial service last week and as I was talking to these three sons, about their father who had just passed. They're all grown now, but in tears, all three of them were talking about all the things that their dad had done for them over the years. And they said, yeah, he was strict sometimes, and yeah, he was hard on us, and he made us toe the line. But one of them spoke up and said, you know what? My mom and my dad both were actually parents that they needed to be. They weren't just our buddies. They actually were parents to us. And as he's saying this, he's crying because he goes, it was tough sometimes, and yeah, I got mad at him, but I'm so thankful for that now. And I want you to hear that, young people, because right now you don't have that perspective. But you will one day. And I know a lot of people in here will agree with me on that. You don't know it at the time, but later you have that perspective. So you need to realize that they have experience, they have wisdom that God has given them. And in giving that wisdom to them, guess what? You get to tap into that wisdom if you'll trust them and love them and listen to what they're saying. Now, it's never going to be exactly the same. But do you have any idea what it is to be a parent if you've not been a parent? I can answer that for you. No, okay. You do not know what it is. You can you could have watched other people's kids. You can be taking care of other people's kids. But unless you actually become a parent yourself, whichever means that may be biologically or adoption or what fostering whatever, until you actually become a parent, you really don't understand. When I was a youth minister, I worked with kids like Isaiah did for many years, and I went, I saw a lot of stuff working with kids. But guess what? When I had my kids, do you think it helped me? A little bit, but it did not prepare me for the reality of what parenting was really going to be. Because it's very different, isn't it, for everybody that is a parent. So that's why I'm saying, in everything, you've got to understand. Do you think you could do better on your own? A lot of you, have you ever had that experience where you, you, you were ready to check out of the house and one of your parents go, well, take off then. Go ahead. I'll let you go right now. I think I was like, hmm. I want to say like six or seven, and I was being rebellious, and uh, I didn't have a dad that put up with that at all, but he knew that I didn't like things, and I was kind of being rebellious. So my dad said, well, well, you just go on then. You think you can handle it yourself? And I was like, yes, sir. And so I just walked out. I thought, you know, I'll eventually decide which neighbor's house I'm going to ask if I could stay at for the night. And I wandered around for like three or four hours that night and finally came home and knocked on the door. Oh, you're home now, and you're going to abide by the rules? Yeah, anybody else ever had that experience? And you might say, man, what a horrible dad you had, or mom, or whatever. I'm telling you, I remember it to this day that it wasn't always better on other places, and I, and I figured that out. So, some of you right now think that if you could leave the house right now at 14, 15, or whatever, maybe even there, I could, I could handle it. I can go sleep on a couch at a friend's house. Mmm, that sounds good, all right? And, uh, and, but before you leave, I want you to actually take with you only what's yours, Well, I'll take my cell phone. Do you pay for that? Is it really in your name? But some of you think that you could get out on your own and do great. And you know what? You're just really not ready for that. Because your parents do a lot of stuff for you. A lot of stuff for you. And you need to realize that. And really think about where your parents are in their season of life. Think about how much they juggle to get you where you're supposed to be every single day. I don't think we really grasp that. But they do, they do a lot, and they think about you and, and what's best for you all during the day. Be willing to give them grace and be willing to share with them in a respectful way when you do get your feelings hurt, when things don't go your way. There's a way to do that respectfully without just being like, whatever, you know? You're so mean, you hate me. You know, that kind of things. Think about a respectful way to feel. But although we don't always as adults have to obey our parents when we get to be adults ourselves, God calls us to always what? honor our parents all the way through our whole life and through their whole lives that is important and there's nothing better to see is adult children with their adult parents laughing with the grandkids and having a great time together because you know what that's when God I think is thrilled more than anything else he goes that's what I created families to be that's what I've always wanted from the very beginning for y'all to be enjoying each other by the plan that I designed that's what I want then Paul addresses fathers specifically. Why not mothers? Well, fathers were supposed to be the leaders. And in this culture, like I said, it was the father. But he's saying, hey, fathers, you have some responsibility. You're leading the family, but I think it would also apply to mothers as well. But again, I think Paul's saying this because we're wired differently. Moms seem to automatically, you know, we're going to be sweet to our children naturally. That's the way we're supposed to be. And I know some of you are, not my mama. She was the hard one, you know, that kind of stuff. And that happens, but basically this goes for parents in general. And he says, again, I told you about in the first century, folks saw the father as the ruler of the household, this authoritarian model that he was supposed to have, and that's the way it was. But now, wait a minute, he has some responsibility in the relationship to the kids to showing them sensitivity and not embittering them? Yes, that's exactly what Paul is saying. So in Colossians, he says this. He says, fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. In Ephesians, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Do not embitter or exasperate. Colossians, the Greek word there is erathizo, which means to stir up, to excite, or to stimulate in a negative way someone towards anger. Have you ever had anybody do that to you? Have you ever had a parent do that to you? Absolutely, we know what that feels like. You just know somebody's just being hard on you, and they just won't let go. They're bringing up the past. They're telling you what a loser you are. You don't ever do it right. What's wrong with you? I get in trouble for that phrase all the time. What's wrong with you? Stop saying that. And it's not good, but we do those kind of things, and it does embitter our children. Exasperate, the Greek word perigizo means to provoke to anger. You ever had somebody provoke you to anger? Yes, every day when I drive to work, okay? I understand that. We understand when someone provokes us. They know what bothers us. They know what button to push, and they keep pushing it. They're provoking us to anger, and we do this with our kids. And this is incredible. I don't think we realize how incredible this is, that Paul's saying, fathers, don't do this. The rest of the world was just saying, fathers, your kids are supposed to obey. It doesn't matter what you do. No, he's saying, in Jesus' kingdom, it does matter because these people matter in this relationship. Everybody in the relationship matters, no matter what role you play. None is more important. They all matter, and yours matters. And I think about those. Why do we want to provoke our kids to anger? What do we really do well in anger? Can you think of one thing we do well in anger? You say, well, sometimes in, uh, if you're an MMA fighter, that does good to get mad because you'll fight better. Or you get mad in a, in a game or something, or it might motivate you to do something. I get that. And a lot of parents went about uh, raising their kids that way, trying to provoke anger to make them better. Let me tell you, from someone who tried to do that to me, it didn't work. It did not work did not make me feel more gracious towards that person when they did that. So when fathers and mothers, when we embitter our children, exasperate, provoking their children, it's not going to end well. It's not. Being overly critical, bringing the past failures, and y'all know this is true, it can damage you into adulthood. Probably a lot of us right now can remember what your parents said to you when they said it, and it still bugs you to this day. It can stay with you. And I'm not saying there's not forgiveness for that. I'm not saying there's not restoration for that. But that's exactly why Jesus has given this instruction to Paul through the Holy Spirit to give to us in the 21st century. We need to know that. There's a great movie. It's one of my favorite movies called The Great Santini. I think it was a book as well. I read the book. But in this movie, Robert Duvall, you don't know who Robert Duvall is, um, is this um, marine fighter pilot, and Colonel Bull Meacham. And he's, you know, he's the typical military father. He runs his family like a military. And he loves them, but he's hard on them. He's got a lot of pride. And so his son, as he grows up, becomes a pretty good basketball player. And uh, he's playing in high school, and he's doing really well. But he's always been able to beat his son in basketball for years. But finally, they're playing in the driveway one day, and his son, it comes down to the last basket, and his son, for the first time, is finally going to beat his dad and so he goes in for the layup, and he makes the layup, and he wins. And he's, you know, he realizes what a monumental, defining moment. I finally beat my dad. But dad is not happy about this. So he grabs the ball out of the net, and he throws it back to him and goes, you got to win by two. And his mom comes out and goes, no, 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 no. No, he beat you fair and square. You go in the house. And now the kid's, you know, what am I going to do? And dad's going, no, you get back out here. you got to win by two. No, you go up into the house. And so now there's this conflict going on between mom and dad. So he starts walking to the house. And um, Colonel Bull Meacham takes the basketball and he follows him and he bounces the basketball off the back of his head and goes, Come on, Mama's boy. You got to win by two. Come on, Mama's boy. And he follows him all the way in the house, bouncing the basketball. All of Come on, you're going to sprout some tears? You're going to cry, Mama's boy? And he just keeps bouncing off the back of his head. And some of us are laughing, but some of us are crying in the movie. And he goes all the way up and finally she wins and says, Leave him alone. He beats you fair and square. Why can't you just, you know, understand that and, and swallow your pride? And so he goes out. And it's a great scene in the movie where he's standing at the, the window of his room and he's watching his dad in the, in, the, in the driveway and it's pouring down rain and his dad's still shooting layups and shooting. He's going to get better. He's going to beat him. He just can't let his pride go. And he, he sits there and he's just crying. And he goes, Mom, I hate him so bad. Why is he like that? And Mom's trying to say, well, he really loves you, son. He's just, he just wants you to be the best. And he goes, what a weird way of showing it. Why would you do that to your son? And he just hates him. And he even tells her that he wishes that my, I wish he was dead. And then later, his father crashes in the movie in a plane crash, and he has to bail out of his plane and, and crash the plane. And he could bail out, but he doesn't because he has to crash the plane because if he bailed out, the plane probably would have crashed and killed a lot of people. But he takes the, uh, the plane and crashes it in the ocean so that none of the people will get killed. And then he realizes his dad is dead, and all those thoughts he had so many times of wishing his dad was dead, and now his dad is dead. And he has this, you know, this immense sense of guilt of, of saying that so many times. And he really didn't mean it, but that's just the way he felt. But as you back up from that and you go, but if your dad hadn't have been so exasperating to you, if he hadn't embittered you, this never would have happened. And he just thought about that. It's like, man, how, how difficult this can be as a parent sometimes. And it's a, it's, a, it's a very moving, movie. But, you know, is there any area in our life that reminds us more that we need Jesus than being a parent? Can you think of anything? You know, like I said, when I was a youth minister, I, I, I don't know why those parents don't do that. Then I had my own kids, and I'm like, oh, it doesn't work. It's not that easy. It's not that simple. It's very difficult, especially when you're kin and your relation. And Paul says to raise them in the training and instruction of the Lord, His plans, His designs, His wisdom, not the world's. The world's going to always be throwing you things like that, but God says his plans are not out of touch. They're not out of date because he's the creator and the designer. So parents, you need to know the instruction of the Lord. That means you need to read God's word. You need to be in it. You need to, to meditate on it. And you know what we need to do? We need to actually practice it. This do as I say, not as I do thing doesn't fly. Man, they catch us in that all the time, don't they? A oh, Dad, you're speeding. Well, I'm in a hurry. doesn't matter. You're speeding. You're breaking the law, and you're setting that example. You've got to think about those things. And we need Jesus, we need the Holy Spirit to speak into our hearts and our minds and to seek the counsel as a parent in uh, all those crucial, crucial situations that we're going to get in with our children. And learn to say this. This is what I said last week with your spouse. And I hope some of y'all did that last week. But learn to say to your spouse, you know what? I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And then they need to see you changing your behavior. Literally see you changing your behavior. And we need to do that with our kids sometimes. And it's important to say, I'm sorry to your kid. I was wrong. The way I embittered you, I know that must have exasperated you. I apologize. I shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. And look them in the eye and really mean it. And then see that you don't do that again. There is an incredible opportunity in our failure as a parent to be able to go to our kids and teach them the gospel truth about needing forgiveness and grace when we do that. And for you too, kids, sometimes you need to go back to your parents and you need to say, you know what? I was wrong. I realize how much you do for me. Please forgive me. I was wrong. I'm going to try to do better. That goes a long way in our relationship. It just melts us, doesn't it? When we hear someone that's humble and saying, I realize the way I acted was wrong and I don't want to do that anymore. It lets them know that we care. So if I could give you a uh, admitting our failure and asking for forgiveness and changing your behavior goes a long way, but if I could give you an, an illustration in my own life that happened recently, and I asked Abby, my daughter if I could use this illustration because it says a lot about her but So we bought her a car um, recently she has turned seventeen, and uh, so she 's driving this car, and I go out there the other day, and I had already changed the oil and I had changed the oxygen sensor because the check engine light came on so I go in there and open up, and there's all kind of stuff in there. You know, there's book bags, there's T-shirts, there's sweatshirts, multiple jackets, French fries, a million straw wrappers. You know how those get everywhere in the car, and so I'm cleaning out things. What in the world? No responsibility. This is your car, And and I clean up the car. I vacuum it out, I wash it, and then I go in the house to teach her some responsibility as a good father. And so. She had just gotten one of these for her birthday, these little decals with your monograms on it, you know, that people put on their car. Not a fan personally, but anyway. um, People have these. Good for you if you like that. Don't be mad at me. I just wouldn't do that for my car. But anyway, so she got these for somebody. She goes, Dad, I'm going to put this decal on my car. And I go, Your car? Is your name on the title? I don't think so. Have you paid anything for that car? I don't think so. Have you paid any of the insurance on that? No. And I went into the whole, you know, I'm teaching her responsibility. If you don't care about your stuff, you're not going to take care of it. You're not be your son. So this is what she said. Not mean, not ugly. She just goes, Dad, why do you keep doing that? Every time I say my car, you say, it's not really your car. But I thought you bought that for me. Why can't I enjoy that? Why can't you just let me enjoy that it's my car? Well, you want to go to your room for the rest of your life. So... And then a, a person in the house who will remain nameless said, you're not going to win that argument. <laughs> as she's trying to argue with me about whose car it is. So as a mature Christian minister, I stormed out of the room and went in and turned on the ball game, started watching it, and thought about what an ungrateful, wretched child I have that she doesn't appreciate, that I just washed her car and that I paid the insurance and the title is actually in my name. But as I thought overnight, I said, she's right. Why am I ruining her fun? It is her car. That's why we bought it in the first place. Yes, she hasn't paid for it. I didn't pay for my first car right off the bat either. I didn't pay for my insurance right off the bat either. So why am I treating her like that? This is exactly what Paul's talking about. I'm embittering Abby. I'm provoking her to anger. I'm exasperating her. So I went to bed, still pouting. But I got up the next morning, I said, Abby, And I asked her if I could tell the story. I said, Abby, you were right last night. I shouldn't do that. And you know what? I appreciate you feeling comfortable enough to come and tell me that that's what you saw in my behavior. And I appreciate that because you're right. It is your car. And yeah, you haven't paid anything. Yes, but I do want you to know I I am trying to teach you responsibility because one day you are going to have to make the payment. You are going to have to pay insurance. And you are going to have to clean up your own big mess in there. It won't be as good as your OCD dad cleans it, but it'll be all right. All right? But I appreciate you telling me, and I'm sorry, and I'm not going to say that again to you, okay? It's your car. So, but that's what we got to do sometimes, y'all. And I'm not trying to brag on myself. I'm just saying it was embarrassing that I'm like, what is, what, why are you doing that? And I appreciate Abby. And we want to have that type of relationship with our kids, don't we? That they say, you are exasperating me. And sometimes they can be out of control with that and not telling the exact truth. But we ought to be able to listen to that and say, let me think about that, and I'm sorry. And I'm glad I did that because now when I saw in Abby's eyes was not, you're a jerk, Dad, but I understand where you're coming from. And she saw that I understood where she was coming from. And now the relationship is a little stronger and a little more secure and we can move on into the next whatever. (laughs) Because we've tried to practice what Jesus has asked us to practice. It's an incredible opportunity to do that. So more than anything in the world, our kids need us to be their biggest cheerleaders. And I know a lot of you are. Our kids need to believe without a shadow of a doubt that we're their biggest fans, we're their biggest encouragers. And even when they're acting like spoiled, rotten, entitled brats, we still love them. And even in the midst of that, we're going to try to encourage them. Even when we have to call them out. Even when we have to discipline them. Even when we have to hold them accountable. Even in the midst of all that, we're allowing them, even when they're having to absorb their own consequences, we tell them, I love you, and I'm sorry this happened, but this is just life, and you've got to learn some lessons sometimes on your way. And you know what? That's exactly what Jesus has done for all of us, hasn't he? He says, I'm going to let you go through some of your own consequences, but I'm still going to love you. And ultimately, I have saved you from the thing that really separates you from from me, and that's, you know, sin and death. I've I've taken care of that. So anything else we can get through, because I've taken care of what's the hardest and most separating thing, and that's sin and death. This week, a lot of y'all know who Taron Wells is, great songwriter, young guy. And so he, I don't know if it was on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, but he, but he, but he wrote this. Or texted this, whatever. He says, this is what religion is. I messed up and my dad's going to kill me. But he said, the gospel is this. I messed up and I need to call my dad. Do you see the difference in those two? Do you see how that's, the gospel message says, I've messed up, but I'm okay going to my father because I know he'll forgive me. And I need to tell him, and I want that relationship to stay intact. So I'm going to tell him, I need to talk to you about what I've done. And we want to be able to comfortably go to our father who we know that loves us. So being a son or a daughter in Christ, that's a hard thing to do. And being a mom and a dad in Christ, that's a hard thing to do. But it calls us. It calls us to be who God's called us to be. And it starts with being able to call on our Heavenly Father and say, Father, I need you to know what's going on in my life. And I want you to take charge of my life. And I want to be restored to you. And I always want to be restored to you. No matter what I do, I don't want it to ever separate us from you. And that's what God wants as well.